Hey, Prime members, you can binge eight new episodes of the Mr. Ballin podcast one month early and all episodes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Today's podcast features three stories about people with shared delusions. The audio from all three of these stories has been pulled from our main YouTube channel and has been remastered for today's episode. The links to the original YouTube videos are in the description. The first story you'll hear is called The Weird World, and it's about a girl who believed something was off about her family. The second story you'll hear is called Family Road Trip, and it's about a family's bizarre and abrupt exit from their home. And the third and final story you'll hear is called Madness, and it's about identical twins who went crazy on the side of a highway. But before we get into today's stories, if you're a fan of the Strange, Dark, and Mysterious delivered in story format, then you've come to the right podcast because that's all we do and we upload twice a week, once on Monday and once on Thursday. So if that's of interest to you, please remove all the raisins from the Amazon Music Follow Button's raisin brand. Okay, let's get into our first story called The Weird World. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. They offer an incredible selection across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mystery and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and much more. Audible is like the place for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations. I personally am a huge fan of the Jack Reacher action series by author Lee Child. It's about this huge dude named Jack Reacher who basically just goes around the country destroying very deserving bad guys. And my favorite is called The Killing Floor, which also happens to be the very first Jack Reacher novel. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to actually keep from the entire catalog. This includes the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash ballin or text ballin to 500-500. That's audible.com slash ballin or text the word ballin to 500-500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. Audible.com slash ballin. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Growing up, Pauline Dakin always suspected that there was just something off about her family. Years later, she would find out she was right. In 1970, when she was five years old, her parents, Ruth and Warren, separated. And to Pauline, it wasn't that much of a shock because her father, Warren, was a heavy drinker and he was extremely violent. But after they separated and Pauline, her mother and brother had moved into another house on the other side of Vancouver, Canada, Pauline noticed her mom started to act really anxious all the time, but she never knew why. When Pauline was nine, her mother told her and her brother that they were gonna go on a vacation to Winnipeg, which is 1,000 miles away from Vancouver. And so they loaded up the van, they hopped in, and they drove all the way to Winnipeg. And when they got out, they went inside their new vacation home, and Ruth informed her children that they were actually never going back to Vancouver. And when Pauline and her brother said, why, dad's still back in Vancouver, I wanna see dad. 
But Pauline said, sorry kids, this is the way it has to be. And when you're old enough, I'll explain everything. Confused and sad, Pauline and her brother began starting a new life in Winnipeg. Over the next four years, Pauline never saw her father and so she lost touch with him. But she started making a couple close friends in Winnipeg and she was starting to feel like this was home. But right as she was starting to feel normal, her mother told her and her brother that they needed to move right now all over again. This time they were gonna go all the way to New Brunswick, the far east side of Canada. Their mother made them swear they would tell no one about this move. But later that day, when Pauline was with her best friend, Wendy, she let it slip that she was moving. And so when Ruth came to pick Pauline up from Wendy's house, the two girls had to affect these sort of breezy goodbyes to each other so that Pauline's mother wouldn't suspect anything. Once in New Brunswick, the family did put down roots and they stayed there for many years. But Pauline's mother still was just incredibly anxious and paranoid about something. The kids just had no idea what it was. Fast forward to 1988, when Pauline was 23 years old, she had moved two hours away from the family home in New Brunswick and was living with her boyfriend and was working as a reporter at a local newspaper. And during that time, her mother called her and said, hey, I'd like to meet you at a motel. I'm finally ready to tell you everything about your childhood. Pauline was really intrigued and excited. This was a conversation that was literally decades in the making. And so Pauline eagerly went to the motel. She saw her mother waiting outside, kind of pacing around, looking very anxious. And so she walks up to her mom and she waves and she's about to speak when her mother just looks up at her and puts her finger over her lips, telling her to be quiet. And then she jams an envelope into Pauline's hands. And on the envelope, it just says, don't say anything. Put your jewelry inside of this envelope. It's probably bugged. I will explain everything inside. Just please don't speak. And so now Pauline's really confused, but she did as she was told. She took her jewelry off, put it in the envelope and gave it back to her mother. And then the two of them silently walked into the motel, into the room where Pauline's mother was staying. When they went inside, there was a man sitting in the middle of the room that Pauline immediately recognized. It was the reverend of their church when they used to live in Vancouver. His name was Stan Sears and Pauline's mother had been his secretary the whole time they'd gone to that church. Pauline always knew her mother and Stan were close friends and in fact had kept in touch after they left Vancouver and were in Winnipeg and then New Brunswick. In fact, Pauline remembers periodically seeing Stan show up in Winnipeg and New Brunswick to visit with Pauline's mother. So it was a surprise, but not a total shock when Pauline's mother confessed to her that in fact she and Stan had fallen in love. And in fact, they had had a secret relationship from the time they lived in Vancouver. But this revelation was nothing compared to what Pauline heard next. Her mother explained that the reason they had had to move so many times during her childhood was because Pauline's father, Warren, was actually a mobster and was a key member of an organized crime syndicate in Vancouver. Right after they separated, Pauline's mother found out she had a hit put on her head because the mob now believed that the husband could not control her anymore and she knew too much. Stan also found out that he had a hit on his head because Ruth discovered that the mob wanted to kill him too because they knew about their relationship. And then also, apparently Stan was counseling a man that was in his congregation that wound up being a mobster. And so the mob believed this man had given up critical information to Stan, making him even more of a liability. At first, Stan said he didn't believe any of this, but when he found out the man he had been counseling had been assassinated, he knew it was true. They decided not to tell the police and instead go into hiding together because Pauline's mother knew what happened to families that snitched on the mob they were made examples of. And so when Pauline and her family moved to Winnipeg and then to New Brunswick, Stan actually moved there as well in tandem. 
which is why Pauline had seen him periodically showing up at their house to visit with Pauline's mother. Pauline was understandably completely shocked, but at the same time, she was kind of happy to have some sort of explanation for all the strange things that had happened in her childhood. And so over the course of the next several hours, Pauline sat in this motel room with her mother and Stan and asked them every question she could think of. And she discovered that whenever she came home from school and she found her mother furiously pulling all the food out of the fridge and the pantry, throwing it all away with no explanation, that was actually because they found out the mob had tried to poison them. Or these six different times Pauline was unenrolled from the school she was at and then moved to a different school across town, that was because there was a credible threat the mob had discovered where Pauline was going to school. And so by the end of the weekend, Pauline not only learned about this totally crazy past she had, but she also learned that she was still in danger. And so before Pauline headed back home, she asked her mother and Stan what she should do to stay safe. And Pauline's mother said, well, that's actually the reason we called you here now, because after all these years, we were just tired of being in hiding. And so we've already spoken to the authorities and they've moved us into a special witness protection program for families connected to the mob. When you enter this program, it's referred to as entering the weird world, where basically you're not really safe, but you have agents that follow you around that are undercover that track what you're doing and make sure there's no assassination attempt on you. And before Pauline could even ask, her mother told her that as a measure of her and Stan entering the weird world, they asked that a couple of agents monitor Pauline and her brother, even though they didn't know they were being monitored. At this point, Stan reached forward with a radio and he said, here's a radio that actually broadcasts to the agents that are following you pretty much all the time, but you should only use it if you're truly in a desperate situation, because as soon as you call out for help, there are gonna be people that are risking their lives to come save you. As Pauline is holding this radio, she looks at her mom and Stan and she says, well, what happened to dad? Is, is he in jail? And at this point, Pauline's mother says, no, he's not. He's in the weird world too and she handed Pauline a letter that was from her father addressed to Pauline, and it basically spelled out that he had been moved into the weird world and he was looking forward to Pauline joining them at some point when she was ready. So now Pauline has this radio and this letter and she's looking at her mother and Stan and she's just totally overwhelmed and her mother just tells her, go home, think about what you wanna do next, and if you want to join the witness protection program and join the weird world with us, just let me know and we'll make it happen. And so Pauline, who's in a total state of shock, gives her mom a hug and gives Stan a hug and says, okay, bye, I'll be in touch. And she leaves the motel and she gets in her car and she's about to back up when she looks and sees Stan running outside holding something in his hand. And so Pauline stops, Stan runs up to the window and he says, hey, I forgot to give you this. And he held up this round piece of metal that he told her was a GPS transponder. It was magnetized and she should put it out of sight underneath her car. And what it does is it constantly gives off her location to the agents that are following her. So if she was in trouble, it would be easier for them to find her. And so Pauline thanked him, put the transponder under her car, and Stan went back into the motel. And so Pauline went back home with the intention of just digesting this information, knowing that she was being watched, she had this radio, she was, you know, relatively safe. And her plan was to just give it a couple of days before she committed to joining the witness protection program and joining the weird world. But after only a couple of days, her paranoia was so high that she dumped her boyfriend, she quit her job, and she moved out of her house into a separate apartment. And she called her mother and said, I can't take it anymore. I feel totally unsafe. I want to join the weird world. Her mother and Stan were delighted at her decision, but they told her it wasn't a simple process getting into the weird world that a lot of people were involved in her basically giving up her old life and entering this new one. And so Pauline's mother told her that she would be in touch with one of her agents and they would contact Pauline when it was time for her to go. 
And in that time, Pauline met a new boyfriend, Kevin, who became her husband. And in conversations with him, Pauline started to doubt this whole mafia thing was even true. And so she decided in order to find out if this really was a real thing, that the mafia was actually after them, that Pauline would need to set up a sting operation on her mother and Stan. And so Pauline called her mother and very convincingly told her that, oh my goodness, someone just broke into my apartment. I think it was someone from the mafia. I don't know what happened, but can you tell me what to do? Should I call the police? What do I do? And her mother said, no, don't call the police. Whatever you do, don't call the police. I'm going to get in touch with Stan and see if he knows what to do. And just a couple of minutes later, Pauline's mother called back and said, okay, honey, I spoke to Stan and he spoke to the undercover agents that sit outside your house and have been watching you for all these years. And they said that, yes, unfortunately, not one, but two men from the mafia broke into your house today. But luckily they went up, they grabbed them, they're in custody, so you're safe now. And Pauline said, mom, I made that up. No one's been in my apartment. I've been here the whole day. I lied to you. No one broke in. And it was at this point that Pauline realized her mother and Stan had been living a lie since she was five years old. There was no mafia. Her father was not a mobster in some Vancouver crime syndicate. It was all made up. It would turn out Stan was suffering from something called delusion syndrome, where totally normal people that are totally lucid and have normal lives have one distinct delusion. And sometimes that delusion is not a big deal. But sometimes it is, like they believe the mafia is after them. And during his relationship with Pauline's mother, he passed on his delusion to her through something called folly ado, which translates to madness for two, which is shared delusion syndrome, where someone who's delusional, who's a dominant personality, can pass that on to a subordinate personality. After confronting her mother and then also confronting Stan at a later date, Neither of them said, this is a lie, you're right, you caught us, because they believed it, and they took to their graves the belief that the mafia was after them. Their biggest concern after Pauline said, this isn't true, was not that they had been exposed as potential frauds. It was that, oh no, Pauline's going to expose herself to the mafia because she's not using her GPS transponder or her radio or living in the weird world with us. She's going to get assassinated by the mafia. And so even though Pauline never got an apology from her mother or got to really talk about the insanity of this whole situation, because again, her mother and Stan took to the graves the belief that the mafia was in fact after them, Pauline ultimately made peace with the situation by writing a best-selling memoir called Run, Hide, Repeat. It is linked in the description below. Check it out. Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. It saves you time and money so you can provide your family a financial safety net starting today. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies, and their team of licensed experts is on hand to help talk you through it. Easily compare quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. Your current life insurance policy you have with your employer may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And even worse, it may not come with you if you leave that job. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a team of experts. They have no incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save.
That's policygenius.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Our next story is called Family Road Trip. The Trump family were by all accounts a normal, hardworking household. 51-year-old Mark Trump and his wife, 53-year-old Kobe Trump, had established a successful red currant farm and earth-moving business at their property in Sylvan, which is just outside of Melbourne. Their three adult children, which were 29-year-old Rihanna, 25-year-old Mitchell, and 22-year-old Ella, all lived and worked with them at the farm. But their seemingly ordinary lives would change forever on Monday, August 29th, 2016. That day, without any warning, the family dumped their passports, credit cards, and cell phones on the kitchen table and ran out the front door, leaving it unlocked. They hopped into Ella's car and drove north. 30 kilometers into their journey, and it was discovered that the son, Mitchell, still had his phone. And so the others yelled at him to throw it out the window. And so he did. He chucked his phone out the window. The family drove all day and night until they reached a motel in the New South Wales town of Bathurst, 800 kilometers away to the west of Sydney. The following morning, Mitchell decided he did not want to be a part of whatever it was they were doing, and so he abandoned his family and began heading home. The remaining four family members did not go after Mitchell. Instead, they just piled back in the car and drove east to a popular tourist destination called the Genelin Caves. It was there that the two daughters, Rihanna and Ella, decided that they also did not want to be a part of whatever it was they were doing, and so they snuck away from their parents and stole a car and began heading home. The parents, after realizing their daughters had now left, did nothing. They did not go after them. The two sisters drove south to the town of Goulburn, where they called the police to report their parents missing. The story made its way into the media where the family was initially ridiculed for getting lost in the first place and getting completely separated in an area they should know well. This is their country. It's not a remote area. They were near big established towns the entire time. It just didn't make sense. But when police went to the Trump family farm back in Sylvan and they discovered the front door was unlocked, there were credit cards, passports, and phones on the table, suddenly it seemed like there was a lot more to this case than met the eye. And so as this strangeness came into focus in the media, people stopped ridiculing the family and began speculating what caused them to suddenly flee their house. Was it something in the water they were drinking? Was there chemicals on the farm that was screwing up their brain? Were they running from someone? Were they in debt? You know, what was it that caused this strange, sudden departure? Back in Goldburn, after reporting their parents missing, Rihanna and Ella inexplicably separated at a gas station. Rihanna just climbed in the back of some utility truck, and Ella hopped in the stolen vehicle and started driving home. Later that night, Ella would become the first Trump family member to be located by police when she arrived at the farm and police were waiting for her there. Mitchell would arrive back home the following morning after taking a series of trains to get there. 
Once Mitchell and Ella were reunited, they made a statement to the media outside of the family farm. And as you're looking at them, it's clear they're totally shell-shocked. They don't know what's happened. And they're trying to articulate why their family left in the first place and what they were doing and where they're going. And the best they could do was to say, well, there was a lot of pressure on our family and it was it was building up. And these things are just difficult to explain. And, and I don't really know what we were doing. Mitchell would say that there was a belief that people were after them, there was some paranoia there, but that paranoia was predominantly held by their parents. While Mitchell and Ella were certainly in a state of shock, they did seem mentally stable. The same could not be said for their sister, Rihanna. She was discovered by the driver of the truck she had snuck into after he had driven over an hour away. He had pulled over to check on something. He had gone around the back and then had the life scared out of him when he saw Rihanna just sitting there in a what he called catatonic state. She didn't know her name. She didn't know where she was. She was just sitting there. Rihanna was taken to the Goldburn Hospital where she was put into their psychiatric unit. As media interest grew, the parents, Mark and Kobe, got back in their car up at the Jenilin Caves and drove south towards Melbourne. A day later on Wednesday, the pair had driven 600 kilometers to the Victorian town of Wangaratta, where they too inexplicably separated. Kobe turned around and started heading north again by means which are still a mystery, and a day later was found 350 kilometers away in the town of Yas in a very agitated state. She was taken to a hospital there, but then transferred to the Goldburn Psychiatric Unit to be with her daughter, Rihanna. Mark stayed in Wangaratta, and he was there for several days. And during his time there, he was spotted by a young couple, really aggressively tailgating them. And then he was spotted again on another day, fleeing from the car he had been driving. Finally, on Saturday evening, all of the Trump family members were accounted for when Mark was finally discovered sitting next to the road near the Wangaratta airport. He was questioned by police and then assessed by a mental health officer and then was released into the custody of his brother, who was a police officer. And as they drove away, Mark turned around and flipped off the photographers that had converged on the spot. He later released a more contrite statement, apologizing for the hurt and concern that were caused by these events. And he also paid respect to the police and the volunteers that went out looking for them. After the investigation, the police determined that nobody was chasing this family. They were not in any danger. The family had also not taken any drugs. They were not in debt. They were not involved in any sort of religious cult. And prior to this strange event, the family had no history of mental health issues. After the dust had settled and the Trump family was just back at their farm going about their normal life, every media outlet wanted an interview with them to try to learn more about why this strange thing happened. But the family said, we're not doing interviews. We're not putting out any more statements. We just want to be left alone. And so as a result, all people could do was theorize. And the leading theory was that the Trump family was suffering from something called folly ado, which is a French term that means madness for two. And what happens is one person who is delusional can pass that delusion on to other people. And this typically only happens in very close-knit families or in very tight romantic relationships. While it's unclear which of the Tromps became psychotic first, doctors say it is clear at some point they were in a cycle of reinforcing each other's delusions if this folly ado theory is the right one. While the full reasons for why the Tromps went on this strange voyage will probably never be known, the police deemed it a family matter and did not press charges. The next and final story of today's episode is called Madness. Madness. 
After being apart for many years, identical twin sisters Ursula and Sabina Erickson were finally reunited on May 15th, 2008. Within 24 hours of their long-awaited reunion, the 41-year-old Swedish sisters boarded a ferry for Liverpool, England. They arrived in Liverpool at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday, May 17th, and their first stop was going to the St. Anne's police station, where Sabina would tell them that she's very concerned for the safety of her kids back in Ireland. The police would say, okay, we'll follow up, and they got in touch with their counterparts in Dublin, Ireland, who went over to the house and everything was fine. So the women leave the police station on foot and they make their way over to a bus stop and they ultimately board a bus bound for London at about 11.30 in the morning. So they get in the bus and they start moving and the driver asks them to take their luggage and put it in the luggage hold. But the women aggressively refuse to give up their luggage. And in fact, they start clutching their luggage against their chest. So the driver starts to feel really uncomfortable about having these two women on the bus and ultimately decides to just pull over at a service station outside of the city and tell them to get off the bus. They get off and the driver ends up calling the police and telling them there's something weird going on with these two women. I don't know what's inside their bags, but you might want to come check it out. As it happened, there was already a police officer at the service station who came right over to the women and started talking to them as the bus driver took off. During their conversation, the police officer felt like these two women were not a threat to anybody and it was just a big misunderstanding and they let them go. So the officer leaves and these two women who don't have a car start walking down the highway on foot. Shortly thereafter, a security camera on the highway picks up the two women walking down the median of this very busy highway. And at some point they try to cross the street and it's obvious as you're watching this video that they're not gonna make it. There's so many cars. And immediately Sabina gets hit by a car. Now Sabina was only grazed by the car, so she was okay. And she and her sister went back to the median of this highway, but enough motorists saw this happen that they called the police. And it just so happened that the responding patrol car that was in the area was being shadowed by a film crew that was filming for a TV show called Traffic Cops. So this patrol car shows up with cameras rolling and they're able to get the sisters from the median over to the shoulder on the other side of the road. And they're talking to them like, what's going on? What are you doing here? And on camera, everything seems totally fine. Like there is no major issues here. These women were just stranded and were making some bad decisions walking down a highway on foot. Then all of a sudden, Ursula turns away from the officers and tries to run into traffic. And there are cars whizzing by, they have not stopped traffic. And one of the officers manages to grab her arm, but only gets her jacket, which she's able to wriggle out of before launching into traffic, literally leaping into traffic and gets hit by a huge truck going 60 miles an hour and gets thrown down the road. Literally a second later, as everyone's like, what is going on? Sabina yells, they're gonna steal your organs. And she leaps into traffic and gets hit by another car. Immediately, police run in the road, they stop traffic and they go up to Ursula, who was the first to get hit. And they see her legs are definitely broken, but she's alive. As for Sabina, she was totally unconscious and they didn't know if she was gonna make it. When the paramedics finally show up, Ursula, who has the broken legs, fights to sit up and they're trying to tell her like, lay down, you're hurt, you have shattered legs, you're lucky to be alive, lay down. She's not listening. In fact, she's violently trying to sit up and she starts spitting at the paramedics and the police and screaming obscenities at them like they're trying to hurt her. And they're like, we're the police, we're the paramedics, we're trying to help you. 
At the same time, Sabina regains consciousness, and even though paramedics and police are trying to keep her laying on the ground, she begins fighting her way up and is pushing the police off of her and finally stands up and literally squares off with one of the police officers and decks her in the face before running down the road. Police would have to run down the road after her and literally surround her as she's got her fists up like she's gonna fight anybody that touches her and they would have to tackle her to the ground and put her in handcuffs just to keep her from hurting herself. Both sisters would be transported to the hospital and when they got there, they both apparently were acting normal again. Ursula, because of her broken legs, would be admitted to the hospital and apparently she would stay normal and would eventually make a recovery and would be released. There were no charges pressed against her. As for Sabina, the doctors checked her out and she didn't appear to have any injuries. So they released her and she was brought to the police station to be charged for punching the police officer in the face. That day, Sabina would plead guilty to her charges and would be sentenced to one day in custody that she served that night. The next day, she was released. So Sabina leaves the police station on foot and later that night, she's walking down the road when she sees two men walking towards her who were named Glenn and Peter. She stops them and she says, hey, I'm looking for a bed and breakfast. Are there any good ones nearby? And Glenn would say, you know, it's funny. I own a bed and breakfast. You can stay at mine. Initially, Sabina seemed hesitant, like perhaps this was a trap, but ultimately she agrees and the three of them go back to Glenn's B&B. Once they got there, Sabina apparently was constantly looking out all of the windows, acting very paranoid. And then at one point she offers the men a cigarette and the men accept and she hands them their cigarette and she's about to light their cigarettes when she suddenly snatches them out of their mouths and says, oh, these might be poisoned. And she throws them in the trash. Just before midnight, Peter leaves and Glenn and Sabina go to sleep in their respective rooms. The next day, Glenn gets up to make tea and food for Sabina, who's downstairs in the kitchen, but Glenn realizes he's out of tea bags. So he goes outside and he hollers to his neighbor, Frank, and says, hey, can I borrow some tea bags? Frank gives him the tea bags. Glenn goes back inside. About a minute later, Frank recalls seeing Glenn stagger out of the B&B, clutching his stomach, screaming, she stabbed me. And apparently his last words were, Frank, take care of my dog before he ultimately died. Frank immediately calls the police and Sabina immediately leaves the B&B and takes off running. She gets to a highway and she's running along the side of this highway and a motorist named Josh sees Sabina running and she's clutching a hammer that she's repeatedly hitting herself in the head with as she's running. Josh drives well past her and gets out to try to intercept her. But as she's running past him, she pulls a roof tile out of her pocket and throws it and hits Josh in the head. She runs past Josh, who's now clutching his head and can't stop her. She gets to this bridge that overlooks another road and she leaps off, it's 40 feet to the ground. And when she hits the ground, she breaks both ankles and fractures her skull, but she lives and narrowly escapes being hit by another car. Eventually police and paramedics are called who transfer Sabina to a hospital where she once again is acting totally normal. Nothing like the crazy person that killed Glenn or was throwing roof tiles just hours earlier. Sabina would ultimately be arrested for murdering Glenn and she would plead guilty to manslaughter, but she gave absolutely no explanation of why any of this happened. It was like she didn't understand and was a different person now. The defense claimed that although Sabina certainly killed Glenn, she should have diminished responsibility because she was suffering from a condition known as folly ado. And amazingly, the prosecution accepted this claim and they only gave Sabina five years for her crimes. 
Sabina would serve her five-year sentence and was released in 2011 and to this day is a free woman. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Ballin podcast. If you got something out of this episode and you haven't done this already, please remove all the raisins from the Amazon Music Follow Button's raisin brand. This podcast airs every Monday and Thursday morning, but in the meantime, you can always watch one of the hundreds of stories we have posted on our main YouTube channel, which is just called Mr. Ballin. We have a registered 501c3 charitable organization called the Mr. Ballin Foundation that honors and supports victims of violent crime as well as their families. Monthly donors to the Mr. Ballin Foundation Honor Them Society will receive free gifts and exclusive invites to special live events. Go to mrballin.foundation and click Get Involved to join the Honor Them Society today. If you want to get in touch with me, please follow me on any major social media platform and then send me a direct message. My username is just at mrballin, and I really do read the majority of my DMs. If you want to check out our merch, join our Discord server, or just see what's going on at Ballin Studios, head on over to our brand new website, ballinstudios.com. So that's going to do it. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, see ya. Hey, Prime members, you can binge eight new episodes of the Mr. Ballin podcast one month early and all episodes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. And before you go, please tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, Mr. Ballin fans, here's some great news. You can now listen to all Ballin Studio shows ad-free on Amazon Music. That's right, you can listen to shows like Run Fool, Bedtime Stories, and Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries without any ads. What's more, you get access to the Mr. Ballin podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories, one month early and ad-free, and all this is included with your Prime membership. You also get access to other amazing shows like Morbid, 48 Hours, and 2020 ad-free too. You know what that means, uninterrupted listening, so no more cliffhangers. Immerse yourself in the world of true crime with Amazon Music with the most ad-free top podcasts. And it's all included in your Prime membership. To listen now, all you need to do is go to amazon.com slash ballin. That's amazon.com slash ballin or download the free Amazon Music app. It's just that easy.